You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome to this episode of the Digital Health podcast series from the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health Council. All views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves and not of the Royal Society of Medicine. In today's discussion, we talked with Dr. Liz O'Riordan, who is a consultant breast surgeon and expert patient after being diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer in 2015, age 40. She is now an advisor for digital healthcare, and we caught up with her following her talk at the Recent Developments in AI and Digital Health 2020 event. We speak in today's podcast about her experience of digital health as a patient and the struggle to access her own data. We discuss how we can disseminate the latest digital health to patients and how currently patients seek this info through forums and the internet. And finally, can our healthcare data truly ever be anonymous? Enjoy. So it's great to be joined by you today. Thank you so much for having a conversation with us. You're welcome. your speech earlier. I know it was lovely. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to come and see it. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> so please, just for our speakers, for our listeners even, yeah. please just give a bit of background about um, you and yourself and how you got into all things data and digital health. So I was a consultant breast surgeon and I, as I said, you said I was diagnosed at the age of 40 and I thought technology would be there to navigate me through chemo. I was an Apple geek beforehand. My husband and I went on holiday to do a cycle ride in the Italian Dolomites and we took with us two MacBooks, two iPads, two iPhones, an Apple Watch, a Garmin watch, a cycle computer, a heart rate monitor to get all the data. And I used data a lot to help me as an athlete. I could train by my heart rate, my cadence to get better. And I assumed it would all be there. Nothing. Nothing. And it was scraps of paper trying to remember the side effects I'd had or what time to take these drugs. I just thought that was normal. And on my last appointment of chemotherapy, a friend who's now sadly died asked me, what did I think of the Macmillan app? And I said, what Macmillan app? I'd never heard of it. Mm. I was treated in a Macmillan center and my doctors and nurses didn't tell me about it. And actually, it's a great way of side effects of drugs, putting all your appointments in your phone because your fingers get really sore, so using your iPhone is really hard. It would have been really helpful. And then I thought, why should my doctors know what apps are out there? Because they've never had cancer. They don't know what I need. And as a breast cancer surgeon, I didn't realize there were apps to help women remember to check their breasts. I'd never looked at the breast cancer care forums and websites and seen what patients were reading and Googling. Because I hadn't had breast cancer, I didn't need to know. And it made me realize there is a whole world out there. That is so interesting. That is really, and what have you seen as the changes in kind of your mindset about how you approach healthcare on the internet and, and the data that's around there from this experience? So Twitter changed my life. I told Twitter I had breast cancer the same day I told my friends and family because I couldn't hide the fact I was having chemo. I was in a hospital where I worked. I was bold. And I suddenly realized through Twitter there are groups of patients and tweet chats where people and doctors will share the latest information. You can follow conferences in the States about the latest immunotherapy through Twitter. Patients have so much more some patients have so much more information about their illness because they are an expert in it. As a surgeon, I may treat 400 women, it's just another woman with breast cancer, but to that patient, they're really interested in what all the data is. And I started to get frustrated because normally patients are told your bloods are normal. 
but during chemo, you need to know the exact level of your white count to say, is it just normal or am I in the middle? And it's like, oh, don't worry. And I kind of equate that by explaining, um, say you want to buy a car and you need a thousand pound deposit and you go to your bank statement to say, do I have enough money? And they say, no, it's fine. You're in credit. Yeah, but how much? No, you don't need to know. You're in credit. Yeah, but how much? You wouldn't accept it. Yeah, of and when, I, when I've sat through the MRI scans and the CT scans that make you feel you've wet yourself and you've had all these painful blood tests, who does that data belong to? Because the doctor, the data was mine to manage and I chose what patients saw. You don't need to know the full result, it's just normal, you won't understand. But as a patient, I'm the one who's had all those tests. Interesting. And why can't I get access to it? Because it's mine. Why is it so difficult? And I suppose my question for you is, as a, as a doctor, the, the first principle is do no harm, yeah. as you talk about it. So are we doing harm by our patients by not giving them access and not giving them that confidence in their own data? I think it depends on the patient and their illness and what's wrong with them. And most people are happy just to go with the flow. They don't have a lot of tests or results. They're happy to do what the doctor recommends. And I think that's fine. But I think patients with chronic illnesses, diabetes, arthritis any cancer where you have a lot of tests you are aware of your body you are in tune of it you want to know what's going on and I think doctors it probably comes back to old teaching you know the doctor is God and the patients do what we say and with the access to Google and the internet things are changing and I think realizing if a patient doesn't understand a word on an x-ray report they can Google it they can go to Wikipedia if they want to we should be able to share with them the full report let them see the pictures of their scans so my sister-in-law had a mammogram in Switzerland and within 40 minutes she had a hyperlink to her scan and the picture and the result that's impressive why why won't we let patients see it I think it's old school teaching which needs to change mm. but it's hard making doctors realize and actually you can give patients their full results, and if they want to know, you, you can explain it to them. So if you get a magic wand, I give you this magic yeah. wand, right? And you can do anything. What's your first bippity-boppity-boo kind of moment to really revolutionise how we deliver healthcare using, using digital technologies, really? I think, firstly, digitally signposting patients to what's out there. So one in four people get diagnosed with cancer in A&E on a bed behind the magic paper curtains if they're lucky. And then they're left waiting for someone to come down to give them information with their phone in front of them. There is an app for everything. There is a website for everything. If you could get expert patients to say, these are a list of things we found helpful. Mm -hmm. And then potentially get doctors or students to kind of research what's safe, what's accurate. This is a good app. The NHS recommend this. These are things that we recommend because we know you're going to go to your phones. But that when you're first diagnosed and you want to go home and scream and go to Google, why don't you help guide patients and say, this is what's out there at the moment. This is the place to start looking. This is where you can tell your mum to go and look rather than me explaining chemo, she can read about it. And whose responsibility is that? I don't know. I think, I think the NHS is responsible for helping guide patients, but which person in the NHS, I don't know. Hospital websites, they're not fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all about the trust, so they don't tell you what the waiting time is and what the car parking situation is. Yeah. Should, there's not a specialist nurse for every patient. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But somewhere, how easy would it be to say, maybe by email, you put your email address in and, and they can then send you. Mm -hmm. You've been diagnosed with this with your discharge letter, you get a link to a PDF of sites you could follow. But I suppose that if we're directing patients to sites, how can we make sure that what we're directing them to is, is valid. And I guess 
Patients are going to find stuff that's out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's why they come to see you asking, will a turmeric enema cure my cancer? Because I read about it in the Daily Mail. Yeah. I had it um, does, though. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and iodine. Um, I think if patients have recommended them, everyone wants something different. If you and your mum were both diagnosed with arthritis, you'd want something different to your mum. And it's recognising there's a huge range of people. But if you've got a generic group of sites that a variety of patients have found, at least they can pick and choose. It's a starting place. They may then talk to others and say, oh, I found that, did you? Like we all do. Mm-hmm. We don't just buy your clothes from a supermarket. You're like, oh, that shop, and then that shop. And it's, patients will choose because they are the user. But I think if you can guide them to something safe that's not scary, that's medically validated to start with. And what about um, research papers? Do you think that there's a way that we could disseminate that information a bit easier for patients to understand? Are we keeping that too much in the scientific community? I hate that papers are behind firewalls and you don't have access. And now as a patient, I can't get access to them. And I think open access for anybody, for those that are interested. We heard about um, people talking about rare diseases and it's so hard to get the latest research when there are so few papers. Mm. I think it should be open access because some patients patients will want to know. But where did patients get their medical information from? It's the internet. Yeah, of course. So let's, let's do the big question. Okay. What are the big opportunities, um, and maybe even challenges, that are really going to hit us in the next few years? My concern is patient data. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great thing I was talking about, how um, Annie Cooper showed a tweet that researchers at Imperial and, and a university in France have done. of an anonymized sample data set. And if you put in your postcode district, your date of birth and your sex, 80% of the time they can identify you just from those three things. That's not really anonymous then. No. And my worry is apps are using my data, but they're not telling me they're using it for research. And if that app is bought up by Google or Amazon, is that data then sold on to them and what will happen to it? And I know you need the data to develop AI and deep learning algorithms, but I want to be able to know who is using my data, do I give you the right to use it? Mm-hmm. That is my concern. I think there's a whole work of ethics that needs to be done. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. And hopefully we'll get more time later on today to talk more. But it was really interesting to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RSM Digital Health podcast series, from the Digital Health Council. Please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are of the speakers themselves and not of the RSM. You can continue to follow us on this podcast and tune in to the next episode. And also we'd love to have you down at some of the Digital Health Council events at the RSM, which you can find out more about at www.rsm.ac.uk. And we've put the links in the podcast description too. Bye for now.